Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We are in Parshat Toldot in the parak before we hear about, I was just saying to Rabbi Schatz as folks are coming in, it's interesting to me, this is not necessarily here nor there, but at the beginning of the Parsha, we hear that that these are these are the stories of Isaac. We hear a little bit about Isaac, but then we actually really hear more about um, his descendants in that first parak of the Parsha, which is which is interesting, right? And the the scene that uh, I'd imagine uh, some of you know well of how um, Esav sells the birthright to Yaakov. But that's actually the first sort of narrative piece in the Parsha that we hear is, is about Yitzchak, which is interesting in and of itself, I think. But we're going to be diving in uh, to a little chunk of chapter 26. Um, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 9, but to give some context to those verses, uh, we hear that there's a famine uh, in the land, and you'll you'll see there, and it's an interesting phrase in terms of distinguish it, distinguishing it from something that has come before in terms of the piece that we'll be looking at. There was a famine in the land, aside from the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham, right? Yeah. So it, it's distinguishing it as different. And Yitzchak went to Abimelech, uh, Melech Plishtim, in the land of Gerar, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Um, one more piece of narrative context. Um, interesting to note that Yitzchak doesn't leave, right? When there's a famine in the land earlier on in the Torah, Abraham actually leaves and goes to uh, Egypt, right? Yitzchak is the only one of the Avot who, who doesn't leave the land. Um, so he doesn't leave the land, but he does go to Avimelech. And here we see, right? God tells him, don't go down to Egypt. Stay in the land. I will be with you and bless you. I will assign these lands to you and your heirs, fulfilling the oath that I swore to Abraham. Uh, you might, you might know these, these words might sound familiar. I will make your heirs as numerous stars of the heaven. I will assign you these lands. You will be blessed, right? The earth will be blessed by them. You, you, this copy might sound a little, little familiar in terms of the blessings that have been promised to Abraham. So too for Yitzchak. And there you see it in verse five, just as Abraham obeyed me, uh, in as much as Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my laws, and my teachings. Harkening back a little bit to something Rabbi Schatz was talking about last week in terms of, uh, of course, Abraham kept all the meats about. Of course, he knew that, that you shouldn't mix meat and milk, uh, even though you wouldn't necessarily know that from the straightforward narrative of the Torah, but that's another little detour. Okay. The, one of the shortest psukim you'll ever see by Eshev Yitzchak Tigrar. Great. He gets this whole lovely blessing. If you stay, I'll make you numerous, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so new. He stayed in Grar. That is the context for our psukim. Here's where we're going to pick things up to go into a little more depth. They, they asked about his wife, these folks of the place. He said, she's my sister. Is she his sister? No, she is not his sister. Where have we seen this before? Not once, but twice did Abraham do this dance. Uh, 
And here, Yitzhak is doing the self-same thing, right? No, she's my sister. Ki yare le mor ishti, because he was scared to say, she's my wife. Pen yeharguni anshe hamakom al rifka, lest the men of the place um, might kill me on account uh, of my wife. In- interesting, by the way, Kitovat um, Marahi, because she's beautiful. Interesting shift in perspective there, right? That it's sort of outside, right? He, They asked him about her and he said that to them, but then we sort of like dip almost into um, Yitzchak's like thought, like train of thought a little bit, right? Lest, lest they kill me, which is an interesting fact. Okay, but that's why he made that choice. Uh, and as some time went on there, Avimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked looked out, looked out of the window. So the way this is translated is, uh, looking out of the window, he saw Isaac fondling his wife, Rebecca, is the way the JPS translation has it. Um, I am I am fascinated by that phrase, Yitzchak Mitzachek et Rivka Ishto. I'll foreground a piece that I'm going to explore a little bit later. This, this word, Mitzachek, um, is a relatively rare word in the Torah. Um, and obviously, you, you see it in the Hebrew, Yitzchak Mitzachek, that Isaac was... Isaacing, right? That that this is the very verb that his name uh, is drawn from. So I think that's a, a fascinating kind of turn of phrase. Uh, he, called, he said, he said, hey, Isaac, get over here. What's the deal? Right? She's she's your wife, man. Why why did you say that? Why 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 did you tell? Uh, why did you say that she's my sister? Vayomer elav Yitzchak ki amarti pen Right, pretty much what we heard above. Isaac said because I thought that I might be killed because of her. So those verses, verses seven through nine, are the verses that we're gonna um, dive into a bit in our time together this morning. Um, I'll turn it over to Rabbi Schatz for some deeper exploration of those verses. Great. Um... You might want to hold your microphone to your face, Rabbi Shapiro, because it's very hard to hear you um, when you're talking. Um, so we will... Um, I'm going to get a new microphone. What? I'm going to find a new microphone on Black Friday or something. I'm going to find like a new a new nice microphone. We should get an, a sponsor for that. Whoever whoever should sponsor our podcast, if you send me a new microphone, I'll do an ad okay, for you. you. Okay, so we are going to look at these three verses, seven, eight, and nine. So if Rabbi Shapiro, if we can, actually, we probably can't um, enlarge them anymore. We won't be able to see them. Um, we, oh, nope. <laughs> Okay. Um, Hold on right. one sec. Let me re- let me redo that. I I hopped out and then it, it hopped back in. Great. It's three uh, verses, so it's tougher to zoom in all the way. But I'll give it a shot. Okay. Great. Um, all right. So, does anybody have any questions about these particular voice uh, voices? These particular verses, verses seven through nine. Um, 
again, kind of speaking to just these verses. We get that there are other verses. We get that they're connected elsewhere. Just kushiot about these three verses. Any questions? Yeah, Jay. Um, my question is, how come the Israelites haven't learned anything from what happened with Abraham and Sarah? And again, they do, Isaac does the exact same thing and almost loses his life for it. Yeah, great. <laughs> great. How come we're not learning from mistakes? Or maybe, and this is kind of what what was interesting to me about these verses, there might also be some element of Isaac just not knowing how to really do things on his own. And so are we learning too much? Are we relying too heavily um, on the things that we knew from before, even if, as you said, it results in in danger or in um, or in a, a negative um, outcome? Yeah, Rebecca. Um, I'm just wondering whether it's customary to sort of kill somebody because their wife is attractive, meaning isn't this a little bit of an extreme um, reaction to going to a new place with your new wife? It just seems, uh, you know, <laughs> unlikely that that would be the result. Right. Great. Yes. And, and again, kind of going back to, to what I just said to Jay, that like, is it possible that Isaac just doesn't know what else to do? And so he's doing what he saw his father do um, and is just kind of, playing that role because, oh, I guess this is what we do when we enter new places. Yeah, Renee. Probably similar to what they've said. You know, why, why did he assume that just because she was beautiful that he would, he would die? Whether, she, whether it be her sister, whether it, he announced her as his sister or his wife, why would, he, why would it matter either way? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Why does the relationship matter? Yeah, Karen. Given that women have less of a role in our not as important as men in the Torah. It's, it continually amazes me about how much power they have mm. and how they turn the course of history, starting with you want a bite of an apple. Um, yeah. That's all. And what Renee said, why the heck does it matter? I mean, whatever she is. Yeah, it's very interesting that women have so much um so much power, so much influence is a better word probably for what's for what's going on, even if we are supposed to think that that women are just kind of the sidekick to the men to make sure that children are had. But really in this case we see that they they have a big they have a big role and they're influencing things that are happening whether in that moment or in the future based on what they're doing. Yeah, Karen. It also is as we took a peek at the park, some things yeah. were a bit sneaky. Yes. Yes. Very much so a bit sneaky. <laughs> uh, today, I mean, look what yeah. we've inherited in a way. <laughs> you know, we're sneaky, influential people. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Nancy. Well, this bothers me the same as it bothered me with Abraham. It's like, why is it so easy to sacrifice his wife? Yeah. Right, right. Why? Yes. Why? Why? Why can you just decide? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to lower you in status and make sure that people think that you're someone different for my sake. Um, and why is it all about 
who she is and and why can't actually kind of similar to what we were talking about with Koli Shah earlier this week, right? Like, why do the women have to change so that the men can be fine? Um, yeah, very very interesting. Yeah, Rebecca. Um, I also find it strange that the king of the Pristine was looking through the window. Yes, that to be now that I again reread it, it's just a it, the image of that is is kind of strange too. So. It feels like it's sort of a setup, the whole thing. Yeah, right. And why would you be looking out the window if you didn't think there was anything to look for, right? It's it's a funny thing that, I mean, I'm standing in front of a window right now. I guess I'm looking out and not expecting to see anything. But but if the, if you wouldn't you wouldn't talk about looking out a window unless you really knew that there was going to be something there for you to for you to see. It's a great point, uh, Barbara. I saw your hand. Um, it, what I find bizarre and found bizarre with the Abraham story was it was safer for her to be his sister than to be his wife. I mean, he's worried about his life, but yet why wouldn't they go faster for his sister and say, she's a single woman, we can take on the sister, but the wife is with the husband, so they might feel that was a bond that you shouldn't break. I mean, I, I mean, if she's his sister, they can still go for her and just ignore him. Then he's, that's a crazy way to think, it seems to me. It seems to me making Rebecca his wife or Sarah Abraham's wife would have meant that he was safe and that they'd take on, they, they would ignore them, you know, but making her yeah. the sister... I totally agree with you. And I think that in the case of Abraham, it's a little bit different here. But in the case of Abraham, right, with Sarah, the idea was that if she came across as a sister, that they, and this is even more problematic than what you just said, Barbara, but they would take her and they could sleep with her and that would be okay because she was a sister and not a wife. But what happens in the story is that they find out that she is in fact a wife and they realize, wait a second, what did you just, you, you tricked us into this. And so now all of a sudden we've done something wrong, but it's based on a lie that you told us. We had no reason to believe that she was your wife, but he was afraid. Again, in Abraham's case, he was afraid that he would be killed because they would want her. And the only way to then sleep with her would be to kill him to then have her for themselves. Um, none of that is good, obviously. <laughs> that's not um, that's not in defense of what you were just saying, but, but it is interesting that whether sister or wife, it seems as though there was no, in Abraham's mind, there was no good outcome. That something was going to happen and that he thought that this was at least a better way of throwing her under the bus than him dying. Terrible, but but the case. Neora, yeah. Uh, yeah, in response to actually both Barbara and Karen, um, uh, it was interesting how Karen mentioned that it was how, women, you know, it's a show of how women have influence, but I actually thought the opposite, um, kind of in response to Barbara, I thought maybe, because I'm trying to guess the culture at the time, and I wonder if like taking other people's women is a way, a show of power. So that's what kind of I assumed it showed how little power women have, because men will use um, women of a, you know, another tribe or something as a way to show off what they can do. So, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, you even hear it in you know, slight jest today, like, oh, I'm going to take your girl or something. <laughs> like you hear guys talking like kind of, you know, talking like that. But back then it, in matters of war, it was, yeah. um, it was real and violent. So yeah, I actually thought the opposite maybe, but I've. 
No, it's a great it's a great point, and and I think that there is a sense of influence, but also a sense of um, some you know they, they are they are the 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 lower class in this scenario, right? And that's why it's okay in Abraham's mind and in Isaac's mind to be able to say that about the woman because they can. But the fact I think what what um, what Karen was getting at was this idea that the woman has some kind of power or influence over the fact that that decision can even be made. Um, and that's, that is an interesting piece though. Yes, of course the woman is still, still lower class. Okay. Renee, I see your hand up. So I was going to say that in spite of the fact that it was a time where it was, there was so much uh, sexism going on mm-hmm. in spite of that, it seems like in all of these situations that Rebecca seems to have quite a lot of power. She's really the one in control, even if whether it's by her beauty or otherwise, but she has quite a lot of power in that amongst these men. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. Um, Thank you, Rabbi Shapiro. He wrote, I think the way that RRS, that's me, it's both me because I'm Rabbi Rebecca Schatz, but also because I'm Rebecca Rachel Schatz, for, for anybody who's curious. Framed earlier is helpful. <laughs> Women seem to have much influence on behavior or perception, but little control or agency. Um, I don't see any other hands, but um, does anybody have any final thoughts? No one has commented on verse 9 yet, which is fine. I just want to point out if people want to look at verse 9 and ask any questions, um, We'd be happy to have them before I move on. No? Okay. Weren't we just talking only really about verse 9? About Isaac saying she's the sister? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I think that there's also the part in verse 7, right, where it's saying she's my sister versus my wife. But yeah, you're right. I just meant in terms of, like, the language, if there was anything that people want to bring up. We've we've spoken more about the fact that Rebecca was beautiful and all those things from verse 7 and 8, and I just wasn't sure if anybody had anything um, to say about 9. But it's okay if not. I just wanted to give the option for people to ask. Yes, Rabbi Shapiro, do you have a question? You're saying, okay. Okay, well, I'm turning it back over to you. So, okay, back to you. (laughs) Okay. I'll pick up a piece that it's not, um, it's not a rabbinic source per se, but it's just something that I find to be kind of interesting when we um, think about these verses in terms of fear and truth. Um you know, there's, there's some language, um, the, the way it's worded is that we see, um, that, that Isaac was afraid and we hear very clearly, I mentioned this when I was going through the verses specifically, it's interesting to me that there is that sort of hiccup that like shift in perspective in verse seven, that it's sort of being told narratively. And then we hear sort of his inner thoughts, right? Penya Harguni, right? He, all of a sudden we're getting, Isaac's actual like voice in terms of what's happening within the verse itself. And I think that that's an interesting flip. And I think it's an interesting question when we think about when we tell the truth, when we lie, when we tell white lies, what, what uh, influences our decision-making around that, right? We hear very clearly from Yitzchak's perspective, he knows he's not telling the truth and he's not telling the truth because because there's fear, right? Because there's a sense of I'm afraid of what might happen 
if I tell the truth. Now, a couple of, of the, the, I think, insightful comments that people were making just now are, are asking about, well, what's the culture of the place? And it, are there real grounds for fear, right? Is, is, is it implicit, explicit that this is something that you should be afraid of, as Rabbi Schatz was indicating? Is this something that, well, this is what my dad did. So this sort of seems to be what we do in our family. People ask, is this your wife? We say, no, it's your sister. And that's the Israelite way, right? Like what, what's motivating that pattern of behavior? Because now it is becoming a pattern of behavior, but, but fear really seems to um, undergird that and, and, and if not drive that, which I think is interesting. I did see a comment from the Akimat Yitzchak that we, you know, as we, we keep coming back to this idea in these sessions, right? That, that, translation is always a form of interpretation and that in Hebrew that these words are rich and hold multiple meanings and you can't necessarily just translate it one way and this word year ah you'll you'll see it translated any number of different ways and the Akinat Yitzchak actually picked up on this and he was talking about how there's there's two different kinds of year ah, right there is the year ah that's actual like like fear, like that sense of, oh, oh no, I'm really worried about what might happen. And there is Yiram more in the sense of awe and amazement and, and oh, wow, this is something that's pretty incredible that, that shakes me, but it's not something that makes me scared. Um, and I think that that's interesting and that, um, that, that's, that's what we see in verse seven, ki yarele mor ishti, right? He had, year ah around saying that she's my wife and the Akedat Yitzchak is, is clearly indicating that this is, this is fear. This isn't awe in terms of what's driving that forward. And on, on the other end of that, in terms of the sense of when can or can't and when should, when shouldn't, or even maybe should you tell a white lie? This isn't a white lie. This is something that's very clearly not true. But some of you might have heard of the back and forth in the Talmud that talks about, you know, for a bride on her wedding day. And as I'm saying this now, interesting that it comes down to a woman and her physical appearance, which is interesting um, for a bride on her wedding day. Should you should you tell her she's beautiful? Should you always tell her that she's beautiful? Right. Sort of implicit in the question is sometimes she's not uh right but should you always tell a bride on her wedding day that she's beautiful and ultimately it lands on yes you should right that there are circumstances where kind of sacrificing and objective truth which is also a fascinating criterion to be bringing into the mix here um so maybe we should pivot away from talking about women and their appearance, or maybe I'll just hand it back over to Rabbi Shantz to pick that up. Uh, but um, interesting to get this sense, particularly through this lens, that there might be times when you fib. I don't think this ideally is one of these times. And Yitzchak is taken to task um, for it um, in the Marf- Mefarshim pretty consistently. Um, but it does raise some interesting questions around how how much you say um, and when you say it, particularly when there are big feelings driving your behavior. Um, and I think that that's a, a rich and challenging topic to explore. So Rabbi Schatz, I don't know if you have a thought on that or if others want to chime in. Yeah, I want to say a few things and I'm going to say them in the reverse order. Um, 
because I want to respond specifically to what Rabbi Shapiro just said about fear. There's actually a commentary that I read by Chizkuni, who's one of my favorite commentators. I actually, my taste of Torah for this week, I only used him as a commentator. Um, so if you're interested in reading a little bit more Chizkuni, you can read the taste of Torah. Um, not on this verse. But he says that this idea of lest they kill me, right? The pen yeharguni in, in, uh, in verse 26 is that, and, and he does bring it back to Abraham, that Abraham at the time had ultimately not been afraid to tell Avimelech, different Avimelech, same name, very interesting, that Sarah was his wife, as it had become known how he and a few men had defeated this other guy and his mighty army in battle. At this point, they had no reason to be afraid of Yitzchak, right? He hadn't done anything. Isaac never does anything to be afraid of because Isaac never does anything. So there's no reason to be afraid of Yitzchak, seeing he had not performed deeds of valor. This is why he was afraid to tell the people there that Rivka was his wife. So it's interesting just this fear piece that that Chizkuni too picks up on this idea that there that it was a different kind of fear that Abraham and Sarah there was a different element of fear in that relationship in that time than there should have been around Isaac and Rebecca and yet Isaac still uses it as a way to to anchor his reasoning for having to say she's my sister. So the, what I actually wanna wanna focus on um, is does not get brought up in any of the in any of the commentators that I read at least. Um, but there there is a lot of back and forth about Abraham and Sarah versus Isaac and Rebecca. But no one talks about how maybe Isaac and I alluded to this a bit earlier. Maybe Isaac just didn't know what else to do. He is not the kind of character in our Torah ever who does things that are his own creation. He's not a creative person. He's not the first one to walk into a sea or to climb up a mountain. Or That's not his character. That's not who he is. Even someone else has to find his wife for him, right? He's not... He's not a character who's going after things in that kind of way. And I'm not trying to say that he's a bad guy. I think he was probably lovely. But I do think... I don't know why that was so funny for Rabbi Shabira. Um, But I do think that unlike his son... Why are you still laughing? Unlike his son and unlike his father, he doesn't have as much of that strength and leadership behind him in any of his actions. Um, Even the blessing that he gives, this is what I'm going to talk about tomorrow at at Shabbat services, even the blessing that he gives to his sons comes from the formula that came from Abraham to Isaac. So, Even in that moment, Abraham doesn't think for himself, oh, how can I do this that's best for me and my children? He thinks back to how is this done for me? And it has to, I, I, you might be right, Karen, but I actually think that it has to do more with the fact that he is going through a lot of trauma. Isaac's life is based on the platform of trauma. And so when your when your life is based around that, it's very hard to move away from the life that you know to come up with different ways to do things. So he just stays with blinders on. This is how this is how it was done. This is how I have to do it. 
even if someone else tells me to do it a different way. So I can see the rubbish bear wants to say something, but I wanna, do I say something right now or can I share, can I keep going for one more second? I'll be patient. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, so I just wanted to show you, I brought the other verses of Abraham and Sarah in this, in this similar uh, connection here. And in true RRS fashion, I highlighted them for you in different colors. So you'll see here in red, it says, Vayomer Achoti. So I, I said, Isaac said, she is my sister. In the other places, it says it in different ways. Imri na achoti at. Please say to them, you are my sister. It gives Sarah the onus to do it. He's not saying, I'm going to do this for you. And then later on, it says here, achotihi, that he said, she is my sister. So there are two places in which Abraham uses this language, but it's different than vayomer achotihi. Sorry, I forgot to highlight this in red. And then the other place, yes, Rabbi Shapiro, no, okay. And then the other place that is connected is Penya Harguni, Kitovat Marehi, right? They might kill me. And oh, by the way, I'm doing all of this because I think you're good looking. The ways in which that said earlier is Vehargu Oti Veotach Yechayu. This, which is kind of worse, if you ask me, they will kill me, but you'll be allowed to live. So let's do this so that we both get to live, right? It's not good enough that just she will live, but the fact that that he um, will die and she will live. And then it says, yefat mar e'at, and here it says, ki yafehi me'od. So um, beautiful she was to see, and because she was beautiful a lot, she was really beautiful. And then later on, here it says, you're good looking, <laughs> right? Like, Tove is kind of less on the scale of Yafe. Yafe is beautiful, Tove is good. Um, and we do know from our, from our rabbis that Sarah was seen as this princess, this really beautiful person. So it is possible that Rebecca wasn't as beautiful, but like, come on, you're, you know, Make her feel good a little. And then the other thing that I wanted to point out is Avimelech, right? The, the same king is used here. So whether or not, it's it's definitely not the same character because this is Avimelech, the king of the Philistines, and this is Avimelech of another place, Gerar. But, but why even have the Torah use the same name Avimelech? Was the king's name actually Avimelech in both places? Could it have been that the story was recalled in such close manner that Avimelech was used twice because we didn't remember the second guy's name. So we used the same name as the king for an incident that sounded pretty similar. So anyway, I want to just, I want to share those pieces because for me, I think that a lot of this, um, yeah, Barbara, that's true. Jay, uh, didn't the verse before Isaac stayed in Gerar? Yes. Okay, great. I wasn't looking at the verse. Great. Yes. Rabbi Shapiro says yes. Um, so the thing for me that's so interesting is that even though, even though it's not great, right, she shouldn't have to be called a sister, nor Sarah, nor Rebecca, that it's interesting that Isaac kind of moves through all of these exercises almost exactly like his father, who he didn't have a good relationship with, but that's how he seems to go through his life. Okay, Rabbi Shapiro, that was more than one second, but I appreciate your patience. I'm known for my patience. 
Um, I, Jay, to your point, um, it says in the verse before, right? It says in, in verse six that, that they are in Gerar. To, to what Rabbi Schatz was saying, though, Radak picks up on the fact that we, we don't know, right? Is Avimelech the same person, right? Or is Avimelech kind of a title, right? Like, is whoever is the ruler in that place, is, is it like just saying Pharaoh, right? Think Egypt, right? Pharaoh's first name isn't necessarily Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the title. So it's, it's possible that Avimelech is the title for the person who is sort of the, the ruler in that place, who king of the fit king of Plishtim and Grar, whatever it might be. But to Rabbi Schatz's point that she was saying just now, like, yes, there is much repetition in a lot of the stories uh, of Avraham and Yitzchak and to the comment um, around trauma and sort of repeating the behavior. It's certainly interesting. Um, yes, Rabbi Schatz, I, I thought it was funny you said, yeah, Yitzchak, I'm sure he's a fine dude. Um I, I think he was probably a pretty damaged guy, right? I, I think he he had a rough go of it, I think. Um, because whether whether you're going with the story of the Akedah that Yitzchak was really a young boy who was almost sacrificed by his father, or he was 33 years old, as we see sometimes, um, and he was an adult who was going along with this, who was almost sacrificed. Either way, to have that kind of experience um, leaves a mark. It, it's going to leave a, a psychic imprint in a pretty substantial way. The thing that I was I was eager to say, and I'm going to I'm going to then circle back to the linguistic point that I was mentioning earlier. Rabbi Schatz heard me talk about this piece a little bit already earlier this week. The the incident right after this is the story of Yitzchak and the wells. Right, that there is conflict back and forth between um, herdsmen in the place where they are. That that Yitzchak is trying to go back and and dig his father's wells, like redig them, and he tries to do it twice, and it's a point of conflict. And only after he mo- like goes to dig the well in a different place, that's the only point at which there's no longer conflict. So the symbolism is rich there. Right, we could we could. We could spend the rest of the time talking about that symbolism and more. Um, but just to, to say in brief, this idea that um, it's only when Yitzchak is able to move away from doing things just the way his father has done them, that he's able to have at least a measure of, you know, expansiveness, because that's that's the name of, of the well, is Rechavot. He's able to get to some expansiveness. He's able to get to some openness. Um, away from what has been and just sort of reiterating that conflict. And so I do think it's interesting that this narrative piece that we're looking at is the narrative piece before that, right? It's almost like he has to repeat and repeat a couple of times before he can say, okay, maybe I don't have to be like my father, right? Maybe, maybe there is a different way of being, which I think is interesting looking at the general narrative of Yitzchak, who we don't have nearly as much on as Abraham uh, or Yaakov, certainly not Yosef, who gets a big chunk of narrative, but the different pieces of Yitzchak are, are often very interesting to me. I'll then layer in that piece that, and I mentioned this as I was going through the verses, um, this verb of tzachak is really rare. Um, it only shows up a couple of times in the Torah, often around the naming of Yitzchak. You don't see it a lot. Um, which is interesting because you you would think like laughter 
would hopefully show up a good amount uh, in the Tanakh, but we don't get it often. Uh, they were apparently very serious back then. Um, but so, so that's interesting to me, particularly because, and this is sort of a dip back into an earlier narrative piece on the other end, when Sarah gets upset about Yishmael, seeing what he's doing with Yitzchak, um, it's because Yishmael was mitzachek et Yitzchak, that, that he was, and there's, there's a lot of different directions that that's going in. And I saw um, in the chat up above um, the sense that, um, Barbara, your comment that Rashi's, yeah, that that verb fondling means that they were having sex, that they were having some kind of intimate encounter. That is the normative way that, that it's explained, to be sure. Is that what's happening between Yishmael and Yitzchak, right? Is Yishmael really breaking a major boundary and doing something inappropriate with Isaac? Maybe, right? Maybe. And maybe that's what gets Sarah so upset. There's a few different, right? He was, maybe he was being too playful with him or Sarah saw that they were being too familiar with each other. And so therefore she's worried about how Abraham's going to respond and maybe see them more as peers than Sarah wants them to be. But there's a comment that I've seen before that I think is fascinating that Yishmael was, was trying to be like Yitzchak, that he was trying to be too much like it, right? He was, he was playing at being Isaac with Isaac, right? And that there was then almost too much, too much closeness in that relationship because he was, he was trying to Isaac, right? Isaac as a verb. So feeding that then back into this narrative, it's interesting for me to think about that Yitzchak was mitzacheking with Rivka, right? I think that that gives it kind of a different spin. Like you can definitely, there's what to stand on in the context of the narrative, of course, makes sense. Avimelech looked out the window, a little creepy, that's okay. Avimelech looked out the window, saw Yitzchak being inappropriate with Rivka, possibly, right? That that there was some kind of intimacy happening there that Avimelech saw. And, and I wonder, right, I'll sort of nudge us in this direction a little bit, like maybe Isaac was just like being himself, with his wife. And right, we know this in terms of our relationships with people. I'm a different person around my wife than I am with my siblings, than I am with my parents, than I am with my community members, right? Than I am with my colleagues. And so maybe there was just something very Isaac-y that Isaac was doing, right? And maybe he's trying to carve out some individuation as he's going about this habituated behavior that he's learned and in that moment, Avimelech sees, oh, there's something about the way he's being with her that's quintessentially different, right? That seems to be different about who he is. And I just think particularly as we like look at the character of Yitzchak um, and what he, what the journey is that he kind of goes through, um, that that language, particularly because that word mitzachek is relatively rare, that's, that's some of the stuff that, that comes up for me. And I see people were like, Rabbi Shat seemed to want to say something. People are putting stuff in the chat, so I'll I'll, I'll pause there. I muted myself. Um, I want to say something based on what you had first mentioned, um, and I just came across this in preparing what I'm going to teach on tomorrow. That there, there, there is evidence that Isaac did exactly that. That he was trying to be something else, whether it's being playful and trying to be more playful because that's what someone else is doing, or he's trying to be his dad or whatever, um, that he 
in giving the blessings to Jacob and Esav, even though they are switched, what ends up happening later on when he recognizes that he has not given the blessing that was supposed to go to Esav, right? He, he knows, okay, I got this blessing from my dad because that was the blessing meant for me. Now I'm going to give this blessing that was meant for the oldest child to Esav. And when he realizes that it wasn't Esav, he freaks out because, oh no, I haven't done exactly what I was supposed to do based on what I knew to do. And what the rabbis say, and I, I love this idea of, especially with students, students who feel like they have to do exactly what they think the teacher wants as opposed to what they might want as a form of creativity, right? And student can be of any age, I don't just mean children, that the, what is happening to Isaac in that moment is he cracks open. He recognizes that now he has to come up with his own blessing. He has to come up with something that's never been done before. He has to come up with a blessing for someone who was supposed to receive a blessing, who's now going to receive a different blessing. And he has to come up with it on the spot. And for those of us who extemporaneously speak, that's not always easy. He has to come up with something to connect to him on the spot. And then what the rabbis say is he becomes so comfortable with the fact that he too can give blessing that he then also gives a blessing to Levan, which was also not something that he had seen done before, that there was blessing being given even beyond just his children. So I, I just wanted to share that because I think you're right, Rabbi Shapiro, that in in imagining a person who's going through trauma and living with a lot of baggage of what is kind of known as right, that as soon as that turns on itself, that he was actually able to be more of himself than who he was when he was trying to emulate a different character that he, that he had in his life. And I loved what Barbara said, that maybe there is something about how he is able to practice like his father did that we that maybe he did spend more time focusing on his dad than we really know based on what what the stories are that we hear from the Torah. Any thoughts on that? Either from others or from Rabbi Shapiro? I talked a lot. I'm pausing. It looked like pa- Paula, were you going to say something? Okay. But it I'm is Paula. really nice to see Paula, <laughs> the newest the newest grandma on the on the Zoom. <laughs> Sitting and looking at everyone sleeping. <laughs> well, not the newest grandma. She was already a grandma. This is the second. No, I know, but she's still the new. No one else has had babies as recently as as her daughter. Yeah, it's been hmm. pretty great. Um, should I? I can share one more one more piece, unless you have something to share, Robert Shapiro. I just spoke. Okay, all right, great. Um. So, okay, there's another commentary on this She Is My Sister piece. Um, and and I, I really don't like this commentary, and, which is why I'm bringing it to you. And I, um, I actually think it's wrong. I actually think it's, it's incorrect um, that the rabbis are reading Rebecca's character incorrectly. Um, so what it says here is, Isaac said, she is my sister, and Yitzchak did not request from her that she also say this, as Avraham did in a similar situation, 
because Rivka, Rebecca, was exceedingly submissive to Yitzchak. Um, and for this reason, did not deviate from his will in any way. Actually, completely disagree. I think that Rebecca was not submissive in any way, shape, or form throughout her entire existence. And that Sarah was, I mean, Sarah had her moments of leadership, but Sarah was very submissive, um, especially in the story that we heard of her being called a sister. So I... I I wanted to bring that commentary because I, I do think that sometimes when we read commentaries, they, they are playing into what they, what they wish was the case um, as opposed to what was. And I think that Rebecca is one of these characters that has so much strength that our rabbis, especially commentators, didn't necessarily even know what to do with that uh, because she has so much ability to be... This earlier that um, that she's really just a vessel, like holding everything together. That's really her role in this story. Um, so I just wanted to share that. If anybody wants to comment on it, I just wanted to share that commentary because I think it's completely out of place um, in terms of reading Rebecca as a character. I mean, what I'll say to that is I think that this is kind of where the 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 content and the meta align really nicely. You know, I think that when it comes to um, interpreting text and uh, like the fact that we are blessed to have a centuries old textual tapestry to play with. um, But each text is only ever written in its time, right? There's always going to be certain norms and perspectives that, I mean, it's only relatively recently that, women are writing commentary on the Torah at all, at least that we have documented, right? That that's on, on the history of, of our tradition. That's, that's still pretty new, right? Mm -hmm. And thank God, but it's still pretty new, you know? Um, And so when it comes to looking at ways in which, um, you know, perspectives on women and how that informs commentary and how that informs, um, how narrative is framed and shaped. Um, those are also patterns, right? Much like Yitzchak kind of struggles through, those are also patterns that kind of need to be broken and aren't necessarily so easily broken. I mean, folks, if you want to see some, some fascinating ideas about gender and sexuality um, and how people interact with these topics, um, see also lots of rabbinic commentaries on these verses, right? Um, but the flip side to that is, yeah, people only ever write commentary based on their own perspective in their own time. Um, and so then I think that, you know, kind of just as Isaac was faced with the challenge of, okay, well, this is what came before and how does that impact me and how do I um, sort of work within that and work through that and, and try to move beyond it. Our own tradition has some has some wonderful pieces and some really challenging pieces. And so, you know, like I said, I think this is kind of a, a meta comment on Yitzchak's journey. And then, you know, um, you know, speaking for myself, how I try to move through some of this stuff. What are the wells to go back to and where are the new wells that need to be dug? Right. What are the examples from my ancestors that I want to hold by? And what are the dysfunctional um, things that our ancestors did that we, you know, kind of need to find new ways around. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some problematic commentaries on these verses. There's some problematic commentaries on a lot of verses, you know? Um, and I think it's important for us to feel um, 
challenged by and empowered to grapple with them, right? Because uh, otherwise, see Isaac, you know, you might wound up engaged in some behavior that maybe uh, you don't feel so great about, you know? So I think like halfway through what you were talking about, we all lost concentration because there's a very cute baby on the screen. <laughs> the, pod, the people on the podcast will love it though. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Nothing like a brand spanking new baby. Oh my God. He's delicious, Bala. Wow. Shots, can you take a screenshot Enjoy. of that to make it as the logo Enjoy. for this week's podcast? How do we do that? Well, are you in Hawaii right now or are you home? Hawaii. Honolulu. Is Mark there? No, no, we're in Hawaii. Uh, Mark is okay. still in LA. Oh, he is. Yeah. Goodness. Oh, very, very sweet. Uh, delicious, delicious. Really? I know. It's like hard to move on from, <laughs> from that cute little face. Enjoy for all of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love oh. the baby hand. I love the hands. I love like, the hands up around the head. Startle reflex. Love that. He's very, he's very ready for a fight. Very ready to, to ward off all those evil people. Um, he's a pretty peaceful little guy. <laughs> Okay, so those, that's not what the hands are for. More Yaakov than Asav, as they Yeah, very good. Very Asav. good. Um, okay, so, I, yeah, I, well, does anybody have anything else to say before I wrap this up? I don't want to cut anybody off. Any thoughts on this? I do, I do really like this idea. I had not thought about this, and I told Robert Shapiro earlier that I didn't, it, didn't really strike me as something that was super interesting, but now I'm interested in the idea of the Yitzchak Metzachek business. I think that there's something, I think there's something pretty remarkable about the Hebrew language also that, that the mem usually means to come from. Um, so though in, if you were talking about actual Yitzchak, you would say met Yitzchak, like there'd be a yud there and there's not, there is something kind of interesting um, bringing together the pieces that we're both um, sharing in this uh, in this class, that maybe Isaac was like coming out from himself, right? When he was, which you said, like when you're with your wife or when you're with certain people, you you are able to be yourself in different ways. But also in the when when we're talking about when Yishmael was was playing with him or making fun of him or whatever that meant, right? Maybe like Isaac was. Those were moments where Isaac really was becoming Isaac like he was coming out from himself in a certain way in those moments um and maybe this too was a moment for which he had played his dad <laughs> in verse seven and then kind of went back to being Isaac and then went back um into playing a role again so I don't I I take away from from these verses that that there's something very profound about knowing where we come from and who we come from and what behaviors we take on from those who have influenced us um, and in what ways we do them because we think they are correct and admirable and are making our lives better and in what ways should we think about them and think about, oh, my, you know, grandparents used to do this or my aunts and uncles used to do this, but now, but now in my own home and in my own uh cultures and in my own uh the things that I'm passing on to my family this is how I think um I should I should 
relate to the world. And and to just bring it into Thanksgiving a little bit, I think that we're all kind of having to contend with that a little. Um, oh, you were going to in terms of being without all of those big families this year and what are the customs we bring into our homes and what are new customs and I often say to conversion students like you're so lucky because you get to create Judaism in your home whereas people who were born into it there's a lot that that sits on our shoulders as things that we feel like we need to do because our parents did it, our grandparents did and so on and so forth so um, I'll let Rabbi Shapiro close but that was that to me is still something that will, that is carrying me through this parsha. Um, yes, Barbara, and then Rabbi Shapiro. Actually, on what Matt just was saying, I think it's remarkable that that the Torah, which was written centuries ago, still today gets so many people. I mean, we study Rashi, many of us, a lot of times, and every week with with uh, Rabbi, <clears throat> but. It's still it's not just Rashi that that has studied the Torah and and there's all kinds of people unclus and this and that but even today in modern times people are still writing about the Torah it really is a, a remarkable document that can get us to sit here weekly and other people to sit there and to come up with thoughts about what the meanings are I mean it's an, it's actually an amazing document yeah yeah. So, and I, I didn't, hadn't really thought so much about it before. Well, thanks for sharing it now. I, I, I appreciate that, and I'll, I'll connect that back to what Rabbi Schatz was, was saying on, on multiple levels in terms of Thanksgiving, and then, then wrap it up. Which was, um, yeah, I think, I think it's such a fascinating dance in terms of the core text remaining the same and everything sort of continuing to unfold around it. Right. That the. The one that I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys, right? I think the most important thing you can know about Judaism as we have Judaism, right? Is that we are rabbinic Jews, that we are Jews, um, through, that we practice Judaism through the normative lens of the rabbis, right? We're not Karaites that are like just the four, the five books of Moses, right? That we are Jews, uh, through the normative lens of rabbinic text and practice and halakha and interpretation. Now, uh, that seems to be straightforward, but which rabbis, what norms, which texts, right, et cetera, et cetera. And that is constantly shifting and growing and evolving over time. I love, I, I used the word before, I love the word tapestry when we think about uh, rabbinic Judaism, because I really think that it is, that it's all these strands woven together and that each, you know, that it, that it continues to grow, that the tapestry um, continues to be made um, each each year, each month, each day. I think for me, it's it's one of the most evocative images that we have. To to tilt that back towards Thanksgiving, like big yes to what Rabbi Schatz was saying in terms of it's a different Thanksgiving this year in terms of thinking about the patterns and the rituals and the things that we are going to do or not do this year. I was just trying. I was texting with Sarah. Are we are we doing turkey this year? There's only five of us. Like, what are what are we doing? What's the plan in terms of the food? But I also say in terms of our narrative around Thanksgiving, right? Our narrative for us as a country about what Thanksgiving is, I'll just say for myself, um, it has shifted a lot for me over the past decade or two in terms of my understanding of what happened when we came to this country and who that impacted and how that impacted them. Um, America has 
the capacity to be an amazing place. And we have some really troubling parts of our history. So too the Torah, right? The Torah is an incredible document with lots of really challenging parts. And as Jews, we have enough faith to say we can take the Torah for all that it is in all of its glory and in all of its mess, and that it can not just survive, but thrive over years and centuries and millennia. And that's amazing. Hopefully we have enough faith in our country to be able to look at the full spectrum, the full narrative of what it is and to say, okay, that's the whole narrative. We can hold that, right? We can hold that. We can take the the challenges and the glories and the mess and the amazing elements and say, okay, this is our narrative of who we are as a people and we can walk with that, right? And that we can continue to understand and interpret and reinterpret and that that is how we don't just sort of keep putting one foot in front of the other, but really grow and thrive. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.